0: This is Pretty Core, and you're listening to Millennials Bully, the show which is all about millennials. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Millennials Bully. To start the new year with a bang, um, and we're talking all about films and stories. Now, who better to talk about films than Sydney Chan? Uh, Sydney is a millennial filmmaker, writer, and editor. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sydney.
1: Hi, hi. Uh, I find it weird when people call me like a what filmmaker, writer, all that. It's like it's so sometimes you know you don't feel like you feel like you're what people describe you as.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: But <laughs> I think I just occasionally do films now. Uh, not so as often as before. Right now, I I'm more of a, a, a editor rather than uh, anything else. yeah, it's at least a bit more stable uh, uh, right. in terms of finding work and all that. yeah
0: nice. And I oh. um, I mm. guess you know that kind of takes us to to the first thing that I guess we all want to yeah. know about you, which is, um how did you start your journey in filmmaking what inspired you to go into that uh, when you did and and you know what's the journey been like uh, for you as as that editor filmmaker and director uh,
1: i think the journey is a bit a bit strange um like if you want to talk about my career it's a bit it's a bit uh, complicated but like i started wanting to make films because of, uh, you know, my exposure to horror movies back in the early 2000s, back when, you know, there was a trend of Japanese horror or Asian horror, and the disappointment I had with uh, with Pontianak Haram Sundar Malam uh, drove me to uh, feel like, hey, why don't we make our own films, you know? And I think at the same time I was playing, like, video games at the time, like Peter Frame and... Silent Hill and everything that that sort of made me a bit more like brave or conquering fear and whatnot. And then that's when, um, like, the, the lure of, of, of being able to make your own thing and putting it out there is what kickstarted the whole process of wanting to become it that. So I, I used to write, like, stories, a bit of fan fiction and whatnot. Uh, started with, what, fan fiction? Uh, all the way back then or sort of the hedgehog, <laughs> it is so random, right? And uh, a lot of other things. So it's it's this whole of uh, wanting to create something, right? And uh, and also maybe emotionally manipulate the audience, you know. Uh, then I think uh, like at the time, or so I I I did my degree in psychology, and uh, and then back then uh, in psychology, uh, like there wasn't really much. Uh, like I started a film club in psychology and we also had a, a module for psychology of film uh, made by Dr. Go Chi Leong. Uh, he 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 created a class where we, every week you would watch a film and then write a report on it uh, using uh, like scientifically analyzing the film uh, the psychology concepts uh, and, and how it affects the uh, real world, uh, how it reflects real world society, right? and then one of the subjects one of the assignments was to make our own film so those are the kinds of things that i was very drawn to and uh, like i was and i think at the time that's when i started picking up my my own camera i got my own camera i used to like to film like document stuff and take photos and whatnot so from there um because of What I've done back then uh, in making a film club and uh, producing videos in college, Uh, people got to know what I do. And I was then recommended to uh, join Duran FM, which is a political online radio station. And uh, that's when, you know, I started dipping my toes into a bit of journalism, a bit of political propaganda, (laughs) and then... So happens that someone else in that same uh, psychology of film class was a very close friend of Joseph Germani, a YouTuber uh, who was very popular at the time. And he was also looking for a video guy. So I would then slowly transition to, after the general elections, I slowly transitioned to joining him. And that's my first exposure into the YouTube world came about. Uh, first main exposure to mainstream youtube and then uh we started i started i was started just shooting videos editing video sketches and then eventually after i left uh, joseph shumani i joined grim film which is another youtube channel which i think you probably saw gift of gab on there uh, the main yes, actor yes. the main actor is jared lee so he brought me in and uh, and he started telling a lot of uh, short stories and i think that was the time where we discovered, like, I, I experienced a lot of like feedback, instant feedback for our films, you know? Uh, like, like I used to make a lot of short stories back in college all the way until now. So it's like, you know, a natural process of just telling stories for YouTube. And it's a very different kind of uh, a feeling when you, you make uh, stories that are like very much uh, for uh, for an instant audience, you know? All the way 2017 when... Uh, I think as I stayed in the industry I I, I grew a bit more disillusioned or there's a lot of personal issues I had at the time part of it also was uh, like dealing with uh, depression and the at the time hadn't discovered that having that I had ADHD or you know uh, and generally uh, I always suspected that I had a bit of a a little bit of autism uh, or maybe aspergers or whatnot because of how I was as a person. But I think everything in combination uh, was uh, led me to eventually having to break out of where I was. And then that's when I joined a production, another production house, Kino Visuals. And then I joined an agency. And then now... Uh, then I joined the uh, Book Access. <laughs> and, I, uh, and then now I'm back to today, I'm just freelancing. I don't know, it's very difficult to to pinpoint the, the trajectory of where I, I went. Because I told you, it's going to be a mess if you talk about career. And it's also going to be a mess when I tangent out into what else I'm doing, you know? But uh, it, it, it's really just a series of different things happening Uh, over the years if you ask me specific questions i probably will answer but yeah i think at the same time i wanted to mention also that um, while i was in my journey to find myself i think that's like three years ago uh, i also in those circles met a few different good friends Mm who are now who are now people that i am very comfortable working with and together we we've made more short films or so more more personal short films uh for my for myself for ourselves uh, rather than doing movies for clients to earn a living Mm. Uh, one of those short films was a tinapa this is called this is not a patrol ad i think that was a my i think that was if you want to talk about millennial filmmaking that was the most millennial thing i can ever think of of my attempt at telling a story because it was a very self-aware film that tried to uh, have a critique against uh, some of the things that we take for granted later on we did um, uh, i joined a production a film production back during COVID. it's called Mantega terbang I went in as a DP and editor. So I think uh, we're so, I think, I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but yeah, it's a feature film, like an hour, 47 minutes that uh, we went on to Jogakarta. So it's a very underground film also, where it talks about uh, religion, uh, especially in the perspective of a young Muslim girl trying to uh, come to terms with her mother's mortality at the mm-hmm. same time like you know she wants to be with her mother uh, in in the afterlife so she's researching other afterlife to find the correct one mm. so it's that kind of uh that kind of narrative so. yeah
0: and um you spoke um uh, about a lot of um uh, different themes uh, when you talked about your journey one of the things was um, sort of about like how you can connect to millennials with your uh, with your films and how you made that um, that film that you talked about. So w- when you look back at your sort of um, I guess in in all the films that you that you've made, um, how do you think those kinds of films? Um, how were they inspired by the fact that you were a millennial? Do you think that that had um, something to do with you know the creative element of your films? Would you okay, say that okay. being a millennial affected that? And, I, and how
1: yeah. do you think, yeah. Okay, so if you want to say, okay, I think being a millennial is, okay, I think it definitely did. I think the fact that self-identifying as a millennial sort of added a bit of, uh, uh, sort of motivated the different decisions I made during the filmmaking process. Um, I think uh, because, we are as millennials right we are in between the classics and gen z and we i don't think many of us i don't think we can we can ever compare ourselves to the classics we always look up we romanticize the great the great people great films of the past assuming that they have never been in our age before you know (laughs) we assume that they are the best you know so at the same time, uh, because we are a bit more self-aware, we're a bit more casual, we had time to think and create philosophies in our heads about why is it like that? Huh? Why is that like that? Huh? So w- I think we are a generation that's a little bit more self-aware, uh, slightly more self-aware than usual. Not as self-aware as Gen Z, but you know, that's the, the the start of it. And uh, I think um, uh, at the same time, like most of the films I did, uh, part of it is just me wanting to just tell that story, uh, not thinking about the whole uh, millennial thing or how would it touch the audience. But part of it also was, you know, how do I make sure that the audience will feel something? So it's a, it's a mix of the, Every time I make a film, it's a different agenda. Like sometimes I just want to make a film because I would like to emulate uh, emulate films that I like. Like I one of my most personal favorite films was uh was called um uh I feel I. uh it's a Cantonese film. Uh it's it's called Be Mind Would You. It was also on Grim Film. Uh and it was supposed to be a Cantonese comedy, Chinese comedy that emulated uh the kinds of funny dramas and films I watched growing up as a kid. So it's a romantic comedy about a, uh, an overweight guy uh, trying to, uh, who fell in love with a, with a girl, with a, with a girl who spoilers, uh, also has a condition uh, that is opposite of what he has, which is bulimia. And, uh, and also like, uh, the, Like every trope that you had seen uh, in in those uh, classic dramas are all in here. But also the conscious decisions to do things differently was also there. I think if you want to talk about the millennial mindset, it's about how do I tell this story while injecting some kind of uh, educational stuff or commentary or agenda, like, and or how do I make it like not so typical? So one of the things would be, okay, Having the main character be overweight but at the same time, let's make him accept himself. Let's not make him like, oh, lose weight. You know? aside from the fact that it's impossible to do in a short film, for a slow budget, but um, you would you would want him to be comfortable with himself. At the same time, you have the opposite, uh, effect where the girl herself is 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 suffering from body image issues. Which is ironic. And and, and then also ha- having the conscious decision to make sure that um, they don't end up together, they just end up as friends. Why? Because you don't always need to have, you know, guy hits the girl and all that. It's so annoying because it's so toxic in a sense where why do you always have to associate guy and girl? You think, you know, uh, what, lock must enter key every time, eh? every lock must enter key, man. Uh, or every key must enter lock, right? So it's like, it's, it's so... It's so like, it's like, I, I, I just wanted to have that. Yeah. You have a romantic comedy subplot, but then you subvert it. Mm. I think that's the word, I think that's the key word, is subversion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think uh, that, 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 like, it, but at the same time, the challenge is that when I try to have an agenda, sometimes it just gets in the way of, of uh, storytelling as well. Like, like it's, it's. it's It's all about, it. it, it, like, when the message takes more prominence than the story, it sort of like, it. sort of makes it more difficult to tell a story. And I think it was, I think, like, the reason why it was uh, my most favorite short film, uh, Be Mine, Would You, is because Mm -hmm. it just was pure fun. The... How that film came about was because I wanted to to do a it was because I imagined a scene of a guy. Um, I imagined a scene where a guy was telling his friend, "How do you know if you really love someone?" And the secret to that is to look at the girl's photo, put it away, <laughs> and then look at the photo. Look at the photo again. And then, uh, if you if you if you still are attracted to this girl, it means you really like this person. So that was that was the first scene that I imagined, like like to be in a film. I want to make a film that yeah. so I can have this have this scene. Yeah. So then the whole film was built around it. it was built around it. So one elaborate long emotional story yeah. was built around that one scene, and it became its own thing. Right. So so it was just it was just something stupid and and. All the messages and the development of the the, the themes, uh, the the agendas came later. Right. Yeah, and and it's and also because I I wanted to cast the friends, my friends, you know, to be in a film. Hey, do would you would you like to be in my film? I want to see you on my film. I want to make you famous. You know, I think it was just a pure stupid. Let's make something together.
0: Yeah, um, and you you spoke about like um. You know how you you sort of make the films based on an idea, and then you sort of build it based on that. I guess like if we go back a little bit to the gift of gab, right? So yeah. you wrote that um that's that film oh, as well. Yeah. yeah. And so how did you sort of come up with the idea there? Because it's quite interesting. Like when I watched it, um, uh, what I felt the the theme that I got from it was that um that physical expression sometimes um is much easier. Uh, well, it could is much easier. Um and it and it should be used versus like verbal expressions. Sometimes you can't find the right words to say something. Um, oh, yeah. and it it ends up being that you know something that we show is is what connects to the person. So something like that, which is actually a very strong message um in a film, how did you you know get the idea to that? and and you know that oh, film oh. was
1: sort of made from it, okay. so that film was actually sort of the backstory. That film was made to to join a competition. That had tremendous pressure on me, which is a Bajaya youth short film competition. And that was my last year of joining because the age cut-off was 25. It's the most pressured thing ever. So I wrote that story a few years before as a top-of-line idea because uh so I wrote that story many years back, I think 2014, 2013 and it was more of a personal uh, story a uh, personal thought process where i was always constantly the mediator between arguing parties even way back in college there were always people around me that were arguing and fighting and um, and i think i always tried to talk to both parties and reason out i always feel that Sometimes it's just a misunderstanding. Maybe the way person didn't express properly. Maybe they didn't, uh, maybe they, they they lacked the certain keywords or vocabulary to, to say things. So they say, they substitute words with something more crude. Or maybe the other person doesn't understand those words that the other guy is saying. So it, if only we could like mentally, uh, what do you call that? have this hive mind where everybody could just like absorb their thoughts it would be easier but no we can't do that so I was always known as the guy that tried to make peace between people no matter what it was the case and sometimes you just fail you can't do anything about it because um, um sometimes it's not sometimes words are not enough and sometimes the other person can't speak also like even in my own situation now uh, in my own marriage, it's also a different journey altogether. But uh, it was it was just a, a thought where I wanted to make a what if we made a a, a very simple story that's very much like Pixar. Uh, like uh, I think there were there was a parody of a of Pixar movie trailers starring starring. It's called Sometimes Why the letter y and it's like told in a very trailer so it's it's almost like like telling a, a narrative style english story and and how do you create a world that's uh that's very much based around that where the character is a is a mediator but in a very exaggerated way i think part also was that of that film was um inspired by this Italian film called The Occupation or yeah it's called The Occupation where either French or Italian where, where it's a bunch of people doing mundane jobs such as being a coat hanger or being a door or being a carpet or being an elevator a physical person doing being or doing their job as an object. So so that was the idea of, uh, of, of having an exaggerated version of that role as a mediator. And then I think um, I had a challenge of how do I tell this story in a, in only five minutes? I think at the same time, Grand Budapest Hotel uh, by Wes Anderson came out and it's like, oh yes, now I can, now I know how to tell my story in an interesting way. Like having the camera be fixed in a in symmetrical pattern and just telling it in an interesting way, yeah, but but I think that film itself, part of it was just uh, a personal personal journey lah, where where I wanted to, to just let people know that sometimes you I wouldn't would say to let people know actually you know it's a more selfish thing it's more like um it's just an expression of me thinking out loud where sometimes you can't tell. Uh, you can't can't, uh, tell someone, sometimes you've got to show someone, yeah.
0: Yeah, and um, I guess you spoke about the Grand Budapest there and, you know, sort of, uh, I'm a huge fan of Wes Anderson and his style of filmmaking. Um, So would you say that you have, like, a specific style of filmmaking or is it something that you sort of change and you adapt to in every um, film
1: that you make? Oh, so that was the context of the question, okay. Uh, I adapt to it, actually. I have no specific style. Everything I do is based on what I think looks nice, what I think looks cool, um, based on the films I watched. And sometimes it's also like watching films and realizing, huh, I actually can get away with it if I shot it like that. Right. <laughs> and I think Grand Budapest Hotel turned my storytelling for that particular film into... like You can't carry an entire film just for the concept. So you have to compensate with you know interesting visual styles, and also because we don't have much props or much decoration, at least the symmetrical aspect of it makes it a bit more interesting, and right. then maybe yeah. So it, so it's um, I don't have a particular style. It's more uh based on the situation and based on my mood. Right. Yeah, okay. but I think I think Wes Anderson style sort of made it more convenient, I guess to sometimes tell a non-story, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: to tell a, a, a movie, uh, to, to do something that probably doesn't have a story, but as long as it looks visually interesting, to compensate. Mm. Sometimes I see it as a crutch, you know, but at the same time, it's like, I just like it as, at the same time, so yeah, it just, it's just depends on the situation. Right. I would say that my style back then also, from until now, used to be a bit more normal. Like, like, like early days, I would just hold the camera in my hand. And then, like, I think back then, when DSA Last First came about, there was this whole, like, lenses and, 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 like, you could blur the background and all that. So, I think YouTubers like Wong Fu Productions back then used to film like that. So, you'd have the... Focusing, focus out, facts. So it's just uh, something that happens by accident and something that I happen to, to like. Yeah. But but over time, I think as I start to get exposed more, I, I've learned different techniques. But again, learning how how the technique is, is is just one thing. I think at the end of the day, it's just convenience or feasibility yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know cuz you um you know when
0: when you make films like you talked about like zooming in and and looking at different effects of of, of how you can engage um the audience um yeah. some of the decisions that you make let's say as a as a director um or even a cinematographer um what is it that you want uh, the audience to get from it um i guess it depends on the situation but if there's something that you want the audience to get from your style of filming, what would it
1: be, would you say? What do I want them to focus on, you mean? Yes. On the, on the frame? I think if I were to... Okay, I, I'm i not very lear- a learned person when it comes to filmmaking techniques. So again, everything I do is based on feeling or how I my mood during the day or how I feel aesthetically it looks in the film. And I think it's more like a sense of maybe sometimes, depending on the film, it's dreaminess or emotion. I like doing a lot of intense close ups where you see the person's emotions where they stare off in the distance. I think a friend of mine, a friend of mine used to tell me that I that I tend to do this Wong car Wai technique accidentally, where I had one film where my character is like talking to the person. Then he looks away, then looks off to a the distance, then back to a person. He calls it the three, the three, three, I don't know, I don't know what it's called, but he, the character basically focus on three different things, and then back to the camera, back to the character. So, so, I, 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 uh, I basically, like, like, again, like to focus more on, like visually focus more on the characters faces because that's what draws me in sometimes not so much on objects and whatnot. Yeah, and I would also do a lot of cutaways, sometimes as a way to cheat, lah. because, you know, like, oh, I, I didn't get a continuous shot of this scene. So I gotta cut away so I can cut the dialogue short and come back. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> again, yeah. again, again, it's like and sometimes when I cut away, right? it's Like yeah. what do I cut away too that's relevant? Right.
0: <laughs> but but I mean you, you do it well, don't you? Because I mean that's something that I wouldn't have known unless I've I've spoken to you about it. So I mean, whatever decisions that you do make in your films, it it works and it's um and it's <laughs> It's, it's actually,
1: interesting to watch it. I guess it's actually yeah. exi- it sometimes it's just accidental or out of convenience right. or like, ha, yeah. huh, it works. <laughs> then you put it yeah. here. Yes. I I I do that even in my editing also. It's just yeah. it's just yeah.
0: Yeah because I you know when we watch films I'm I'm not a filmmaker I do I love photography but what I think about when I watch films and yours as well is like I'm always thinking oh I wonder what the director wants us to get from this scene Um, you know what, what was the decision that went into uh, this small scene something like that. Um,
1: like what example did like did you bring up so I can at least.
0: Uh, I think like um I'm just thinking specifically about the gift of gab right now but like you know, like when he gets to the point where he's um, uh, he's frustrated with the uh, with the daughter because um, yeah. she you know she doesn't express in that way, so he sort of like shouts at her. But then it's not um, you hear a little bit of his voice, uh, but not in in full uh, volume because I mean the style of the gift of gap is is very like, silent. Yeah, yeah, it's mostly silent. So. I just I guess in that scene I'm thinking, you know, what, what like is a, it that's the message here? That, that okay. there's a slight um, voice, but not okay. you know, in full volume, if, something if like that.
1: If I were to if I were to bullshit my way, I would say that, oh, that represents a, a, a break in the film where throughout the film you always hear uh, music and the narrator's voice, but because he's under frustration, that's the first time you hear his actual voice where he breaks out of character and stop being a mediator. That's when you hear the reality of the coldness around him. So that's how I can push okay. it my way, right? But I think at the time, it was like, how do I show his frustration now? Uh? Yeah. And like, I didn't, I don't think maybe, I think it was just, it was just at the time because we were under pressure for a time, right? And like, how do I show him frustrated? Maybe just have Jared scream at him. I, I think Jared just did his own thing and screamed and I just kept it in the cut. Because like, Okay la. it it's still it's still not talking he's still not like directly talking we don't hear his voice but it's like a he's still considered like a background noise when he talks right not mm-hmm. actual words yeah and i agree. think also i think also the difficulty was how do you how do you tell a story where it's wordless only narrated by the narrator but you need to have the characters like like speak that's why you have the scene where he speaks to the little boy mm. and you hear a bit of his voice in the background and the narrator is the one that talks over. But for the scene where he screams at the girl and all that, I don't think it would have been uh, appropriate for the narrator to also say what he says. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And, I,
1: and I think also I didn't have any line to give him that would uh, that would be suitable. So it was just uh, generous acting that I put in. But when I put it together, and now that you tell me about it, it's like, huh, looks like thematically it works. (laughs) Yes. Uh that, that that's my official yeah. story from now on. Now it, it breaks character, it breaks the scene, the Miss Ansang, you know. Right, <laughs>
0: right. And I guess
1: on the other side,
0: what I've learned is that sometimes things are accidental in films yeah, and it works. And and I guess um yeah, it's interesting from like another because you know you're you're the input coming in uh from the, the creator side, and then we are the audience, we respond to your yeah. To your um creative side, right? So yeah, yeah, it's interesting that that we that we sort of make a link, but yeah. you know the story is different from what we sometimes think. Yeah. I guess I think it's actually,
1: it's I think it's more like the you, things take on a life of their own, and and things just come naturally. And I think it's also a human need to find that connection in everything. That's why you got term terminology like paradoia, where you see faces in things that don't have anything. Paradoya, I think, yeah. Paradoya. So it's just uh, that constant need to find meaning. And I think that's the the crux of of everything. So so meaning somehow comes naturally. And 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 when you try to make a film that has meaning, sometimes you don't have to try too hard. I think when we when I was watching some film analysis stuff, you sort of wonder like because Every film analysis uh, essay, most of it is just from the, the writer's own interpretation of some other person's work. But it starts to feel weird when you see other people making analysis of your own work. You feel like, wow, someone is taking my my stupid project seriously. <laughs> or my my half-ass work previously. But mm-hmm. it's like it's like sometimes it's 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 like again, it takes on a life of its own. Yeah. Without you controlling it.
0: Yeah, it's a lot more organic.
1: It's um, organic. Yeah.
0: Then, then, I guess, um, yeah, not not everything is uh is planned. I guess. Uh, yeah. Quite interesting. And yeah. I
1: think it, it it hurts things when you watch too many of these essays and then you try to plan for it, and then it hurts the process. Mm. So I think it, it's just uh what I'm thinking of in hindsight lah. Yeah. Because I started focusing more on how to tell these stories with proper planning, and it just made it feel even more artificial
0: right
1: okay yeah so so again again like 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 which is more important the story or the agenda or the technique so that's why i don't i don't really do films that much anymore not as often part of it is due to me uh, being tired after all these years part of it is also due to maybe me taking on uh, medication which is uh, antidepressants where it sort of dulls my negative thoughts but at the same time dulls my maybe it sort of dulls my my writing in a way right. i go more strict i go straight to the point more rather than uh, rather than being romantic yeah. or poetic about it so yeah. Yeah, i am but i guess i guess
0: you on um, you could see it you could see it as you know that's you changing your style of um uh, your creative process in a sense right it could it could i guess lead to to like different projects uh, yeah. in the future as well where you're you know where where that element you know feeds into a different theme of, yeah. of films
1: yeah yeah it, it's, I think it's just uh, it, again as you say like it it, it adapts it, 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 my style changed over the years. And I think I still want to tell the same stories again. I still want to re explore things I didn't explore. It's just that now life has changed la, for me. And I think the key thing is that I am never going to let that part go. Mm. I'm never going to say never. And now I'm slowly tapering, I'm slowly like quitting my antidepressants because it's causing me to gain weight also. Uh, and and now, I find myself writing more long-form essays on Facebook these days. <laughs> so, uh, and putting making more puns and whatnot. So, it's, it's a very, it, it, it's just, uh, again, as I'm talking to you, I'm also reflecting in the fact that, yeah, I used to do a lot of interesting stuff back in the day. And I think now, I am still doing interesting stuff. It's just that it's not translating into new short films or new stories
0: Mm.
1: i think the biggest thing i've ever done so far was just two years ago for for my for the feature film and also a few short film competitions i joined and now that uh my, my my son is born i'm under pressure to think what do i film with my son before he grows older (laughs) Uh, Again, um, I think if I were to break down way back when until now, it's like, I used to tell stories based on people I see. Mm. Like I would look in college, right? I would look at someone and then I imagine a story around that person based on what trope I see. Mm. If a person looks tragic, I will think of a tragic story. Like, hey, you look tragic. Want to be my film? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so uh, right. yeah, so it's 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 just um again how the whole uh, again like like I said about be mine would you about the whole Taffy Gay story also it was also the same thing where I looked at my friend who was a big size and then I looked at a uh, another girl and I imagine huh I just imagine him chasing after that girl
0: right
1: so, so. that's when the thinking about so it's it's a matter of looking at a story based on a person you see it's very judgy <laughs> it's very like if it, it may be it's terrible it's almost like you're undressing the person with your eyes but it's like sometimes it's just a matter of using your own assumptions and biases to craft something and and it's it's i think that's something that i'm trying to find again yeah. because nowadays I, Nowadays, um I don't have any emotional connection to most of the people I see, but um, back then it was easier because I had emotional connection in a way that I want to see them in a film. And again, priorities changed, and now it's all about story or all about all about uh, sellability and marketing. but mm. but now that I am a bit I'm freelancing, I have a bit more time to think. It's starting to slowly come back.
0: And I guess we, uh, like, for the listeners, I would say that, you know, we definitely look forward to what you come up with next, because I think your ideas are always very unique. Um, and it's and it's interesting, it's, it will be interesting to see what you come up with now, sort of, like, I know, I know we're kind of in the phase where we're coming out of the pandemic a little bit. So, yeah. you know, I guess what you come up with now will be quite interesting as well to watch.
1: I've had, I mean, I've done pandemic-related stuff before, so um, featuring my wife and, I think it was for a competition. It's called Don't Go, by Sydney Chan. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, see that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Oh, thanks. Uh, that film also was. If, that film also, yeah, that one was uh, was me trying very hard to. To force an agenda because the agenda was how do you tell a pandemic story without saying it's a pandemic, mm. and and then at the time I was watching Annihilation, and a lot of. Uh, Annihilation and, like, those post-apocalyptic kind of stories. yeah like, huh, how do you tell... A po- then, and I think, again, one of the scenes that, that came to my mind was uh, that scene of the talking bear in Annihilation. Not really a talking bear, but a undead bear that mimics the voices of people it's killed.
0: Mm. So it
1: calls out to you. So, in a way, the pandemic is sort of... The COVID itself is sort of like the... The loved one, the, the need to go out to reach out to someone to find connection in ice from isolation. you can't go out. you have to, but you're not allowed to go out, but you need a connection. but if you go out, you get infected and you become one of them, yeah, 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 so so that's the in, so that was the idea of like you know having the the need to connect back with your loved ones be mm-hmm. the reason for your do yeah. so so. So I think uh, at the time, it was just me and my camera and my wife and the dog and my (laughs) in-laws. So I think, again, all of these things is just by accident because it's necessary. I had no other resource. Yeah. And if you look back, and I look back at all the things I made, a lot of it was also based on doing a lot with what little you have. Mm. And things are different when you have a lot, or when you have things, but you're not certain how far you can go with it. I think if you were to watch uh, modern movies, also where where uh, maybe Peter Jackson or whatnot, if you if you look at his older films and now, like it's a difference between having no budget to having a lot of budget, and then what happens during the Hobbit trilogy where he's almost unlimited budget. It's it's a it's a it's a different mindset when when you're not challenged right. oh, all that. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say green screen is not a challenge, but yeah.
0: Nice. Okay. Yeah. And I think that, that is an important lesson as well, you know, like when you're, when you have resources in abundance. Um, but I guess another side is, you know, does that lead to positive things or is it that, you know, in those challenges you create or because you have a lack of resource, um, you sort of, you're pushed to create something that's very yeah. raw and organic.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a time capsule also lah, Because at the time you didn't have resources, that was your mindset at the time. And every film is a time capsule. But I think uh, at the time uh, resources were. I mean, the lack of resources isn't the only thing that drives you lah. The fact that there is a competition going on with a short deadline the next day also drove yeah. you lah.
0: <laughs> Definitely.
1: Yeah. <laughs> definitely. I think,
0: have... I think with you know even if you are a student um listening like you know when you have assignments like. Yeah, I mean, it's it's getting... You know, obviously, it's writing about the topic, but it's the deadline, isn't it, that gets you uh,
1: Yeah, I would say that, that The Gift of Gap won first runner-up, and it was a project that was done, like, a few days before the deadline.
0: Right. <laughs> Doesn't look like it. <laughs> Doesn't look like it at all. So, like well few, done it, to
1: you and your team. A week. Yeah. Thanks, thanks. But yeah. a lot of the films we did is short before... It's, like, very, very tight deadline. And I think, like, even a film... There are like a few films I've done collaborate with other people. There was just one day before the deadline that right. won. I have a friend. I think if you if you uh, maybe you can interview her next. Her name is Iftisem Ben-Nasib. She is the winner for HBO's uh, uh, short film competition back before the pandemic.
0: Okay.
1: She also shot the... It's called Ali. Uh, Iftisem, uh, I-B-T-I-S-E-M. I still collaborate with her a lot, but she shot that film a day, be, like, maybe one or two days before the submission. Uh. Oh. She, su- no, she submitted it very late at night, right. few one hour or a few minutes before the submission, and she won. So, right. so so it's not a very good, I don't know, what are you teaching again?
0: Uh, I, I teach children, I, I teach a, a range of different subjects, but, but yeah, I'm a teacher, primary children.
1: It's the it's the whole fact that it's it's last minute that drives the pressure. And yes. maybe it's an ADHD thing or so, I don't know. It's it's it just gets you to I think the cortisol that you're feeling sort of drives it. But when you're yeah. too long, too yeah. much freedom, like you sort of don't get it. It's the yeah. same as maybe the same as with budget also. Yeah. And back then when we were starved for cinematic freedom, right? DSLRs were our creative expression, because back then it was all very much locked off to the professional filmmakers. The yeah. DSLRs are our gateway into it. In. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and I think that, that's the resource that we, that we held on to. And I could very say clearly, when I started handling, I used to look forward to a camera that was very high-end back then, called the five, Canon 5D 5 Mark II. It was marketed as the most uh, cinematic camera. Then, I only had an entry-level camera. And I made a lot of stuff with it. When I joined a company that two of these cameras, I hated them. (laughs) They were cumbersome. They were cumbersome and like I didn't get what I wanted. So, again, it's like you always lust after something. But once you have it, you feel like, oh need no idea you don't yeah. feel motivated so again you always need to latch on to something to to, to always have that insatiable drive yeah so i learn i think i for me i i am learning how to artificially create a drive for myself so that i work towards it but learn how to you know not see the destination
0: <laughs> yeah yeah yes um yeah, it's been really interesting talking to you about like yeah. filmmaking and, and all the different things that you've talked about. Um, so just one question that I usually ask my guests at the end of the show. Um, and it is, what is one myth about millennials that you disagree with? So what is what would your response be to that?
1: I do not know much of the myths. I I think like the whole uh, lazy millennial and everything. know that uh, I would say I, I wouldn't disagree with many of it. Some of it is true. I will also self-reflect and say that I am a millennial that has been born with a silver spoon at one point. So I was very sheltered and basically raised, like I don't think I was a special needs kid, but I was raised like one because of how sheltered I was. and uh, and it reflected my behavior. but but uh, I would say that uh, millennials are resourceful. we We know what we we know what we want. But there was one myth that I would want to say is um, something that millennials always tell each other. Um, every millennial is different. And there are definitely a lot of toxic millennials out there mm. who are who are exactly what the boomers think we are. There are also the kind of millennials that are opposite of what we like to pat ourselves on the back with. I've known millennials to be bigoted, to be horrible people. I wouldn't say hundred percent horrible. They are still they are still like okay, but they are not perfect. Mm. Yeah, and everything. And I think we are at a time where we are a time where, where where because social media is more out there. You sort of see the different strata of of people with different opinions and you realise that it's not so much a generational thing part of it is but it's just what you are exposed to I think you wanted to ask about what can the film industry do and what is the kinds of films I will be making in the future I think I just yeah.
0: if if you would love to talk about that yes great
1: okay so I wanted to because I saw this question I thought I wanted to answer this Um, but I think the if you want to talk about the context of recent events
0: yeah
1: i w- maybe not me but i want to see stories where people talk about toxic patriotism and i'm not talking on the left wing right wing thing but it's the man- mindset of hero worship our leaders can do no wrong our uh, if i were to say something that criticizes your leader you will start Turning around and saying, Why are you why are you only criticizing that tunnel vision? Why are you only criticizing that person? And it's like you can't have a balanced opinion. You have 100% support. I went to a PKR rally. There was an old lady that uh, wanted to sit down on the wet grass, but she, she had to squat instead. There was a PKR flag. I told her, Why don't you lie down on the flag? Uh, uh, a dude next to her said no don't don't disrespect the flag and and the, and it's like what is this nonsense again like uh aside from toxic criticism it, let me it segues back into censorship blah, which is maybe change the culture cultural mindset yeah. so i i'm maybe i'm echoing a lot of other filmmakers in the interviewed which is film education is lacking here uh not education film culture
0: Mm.
1: and and i think if you want to improve this right uh this is something that i spoke to or something that kamil offman mentioned during uh the few times i met him uh he mentioned about how korea has an export culture and you see k-pop everywhere nowadays because I think one of the things they tried to do was make sure that they beat Japan. That's why you no longer see so much of J-pop; you see K-pop now. Right. Okay. And 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 there are a lot of things, a lot of Malaysian stories that are rich and strong and relatable, even though it's a Nusantara thing. And you can export these things out. You can bring this out to the international circuit.
0: Um, well, thank you so much, Sydney. I think you've uh, you've talked a lot about films and, and, and the and the process that goes behind films. And we've also talked a lot about um, how we can support our Malaysian films um, as Malaysians in a better way. Um, and yeah, it's been really interesting talking to you. Thank you so much uh, for coming today yeah. and, and sharing sorry all for, your experience. Sorry
1: for, for, for going off tangent everywhere. Just
0: no, not... no, no worries at all. I think there's so many interesting themes that came out of um, the conversation today. So yeah, thank you.